If you're anything like me, then uh, you find, when you find yourself dreaming, sometimes you can get overwhelmed with the here and now instead of dreaming about what lies ahead. If you're anything like me, then sometimes when you're going through a tough time or a tough season, you sometimes look to apportion blame instead of looking for opportunities to learn about yourself. If you're anything like me, then sometimes you subconsciously always wonder if you're doing enough to keep people happy or, if, or doing enough to keep God happy. And maybe this is a reflection of the Brit that's in me, but if you're anything like me, sometimes you're a little bit wary to, to, to be hopeful for the future for fear of being disappointed that those hopes don't, don't actually realize. Jamie and Izzy, I'm sure you probably identify with that totally. But uh, if you're anything like me in any of these areas, then I know today's sermon is going to be an incredible encouragement to you because preparing this was an amazing encouragement for, you know, for me. We're in, the, we're in the kind of tail end of our series through the book of Exodus. We've been taking a few weeks to kind of walk our way, uh, not specifically chapter by chapter, but kind of main story by main story. And we've got, we've got four Sundays left, and I'm, I'm going to be preaching the last four Sundays of, of the series. And uh, this, this, this series that we've been teaching on, we've entitled Into His Glory, the story of Exodus. And throughout the series, we've been making clear that there are three stories that are intertwined along the way. The first story is the story of Moses, this, this failed leader that eventually becomes this friend of God. I just love that journey. This, this, this man of God has been an incredible encouragement to me as over the years I've, I've read this, this book over and over again. Last week, James really identified a key moment in, in Moses' journey and walk with the Lord. It happened in Exodus chapter 14. If you weren't there, I'll quickly describe the scene. Uh, 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 the Israelites have, have, left, have left Egypt, and they are currently sandwiched between the, the, the Egyptian army that is coming down the hill to, to, to overtake and, and, and overwhelm them, and they're sandwiched between the, the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And instead of crying out to, to God in prayer and full of faith, the Israelites turn to Moses and they begin to uh, cry out with anger and with frustration and with fear and with accusation. And, and this, there's this incredible moment in Exodus chapter 14 where, where this previously failed leader stands up with incredible courage and incredible conviction. And he says these words to Israel, don't be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. It's a remarkable statement from this man. It's a statement, when I read that, it's a statement for me of Moses saying, I have finally settled in my heart the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I've settled in my heart that because of God's faithfulness, I know that he has called me. And because he's called me to lead, I'm going to stand with my full weight on the promise and the faithfulness of God. When I, when I read that, that statement that he made, for me it's a statement of courage and it's a statement of faith built on the revelation of God's faithfulness. And I, I always try to look for, for pictures that help to reinforce the truth. And when I read that, I, I get this picture of Moses having built a memorial in his heart. Moses having, as it were, drawn a line in the sand in his heart or, or built a wall of, of, God's, of God's truth, the, the, the revelation of God's faithfulness. And essentially what he's saying is, is, is this, this truth, I've settled this truth that God is faithful. And in the future, I know testing will come. I know that, the, that there will be seasons where God or, or situations will test the truth of his faithfulness. But because I've built this wall 
I'm not, even though I might slip back a little bit when I'm tested, I'm not going to fall back behind, behind this wall. I'm not going to revisit this truth. It's a, it's a very important lesson for us to, to do things in a similar manner. It's how we grow in faith. There are seasons where, where God will reveal his nature or reveal his heart or reveal his character or give us deep conviction about certain things. And friends, let me tell you, those are moments that we need to build walls in our hearts because those truths will in the future be tested. And if we keep coming back to those truths and having to revisit those truths and reestablish those truths, we waste time in the things of God. Build those walls, establish those truths so that when you're tested, you can fall back against them, but you say, I am moving forward, I am moving on. That truth has been established. The second story that the book of Exodus is about is the story of God's people. And this is the time, last week and this week, this is the time where, where Moses seems to retreat a little bit and the people of God seem to take more center stage. It's this beautiful story of, of God's people from, from, from being sla- enslaved to, to this, along this journey to, to realize who they are in God, this, this treasured possession and this holy nation. We've seen in this story that they've been rescued from slavery through the Passover. They've, they've seen their enemies defeated as they cross the Red Sea. They, they, uh, they are moving forward towards their inheritance, a land that God had promised And they are doing all of this under the constant presence of the Lord. God is with them, cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And along this journey, along this way, they are are discovering who they always were. They're not becoming something that they they weren't. They're discovering who they always were. This treasured possession of the Lord, this holy nation. And, and their journey, this journey of the people of Israel, just so beautifully mirrors our walk with the Lord. The Bible speaks often in the, in, in the New Testament, especially that we, we are called to, to, to journey with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4 says, walk worthy in a manner of the calling of the Lord. We are on this journey. We are walking towards something that God has for us. We've been set free from slavery, slavery to self and slavery to the world. Because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We've been wonderfully delivered from our enemies, as is, as is, I think, beautifully pictured by water baptism. Can I just say for a moment, completely as often as a tangent, don't think water baptism is some religious duty or obligation. Water baptism is a powerful metaphor, a powerful demonstration. As you come out under the water, you are declaring to the forces of darkness that you are no longer subject to their reign and rule. It is a powerful spiritual statement when we get baptized in water. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so, join us on November 6th. There you go. Little plug for, for water baptism. We've been set free. We've been delivered from our, from our enemies. We are heading towards our inheritance. Don't think that our inheritance is heaven. It's not. Heaven is already ours. 
an inheritance of the things we're walking into. Heaven is already ours. We're not on a journey towards heaven. We're on a journey to see the kingdom of God advance. We're on a journey to see the kingdom of God move into neighborhoods and nations. That's our inheritance. That's the journey that we are on. And we are doing it under the constant presence and power of the Lord God Almighty. And on this journey, we are discovering who we already were. God's treasured possession, God's holy nation. But the greatest story of all in the story of Exodus, the one that supersedes the story of Moses and the story of of God's people is the story of God himself. And that is always front and center. This this one true almighty God who who takes delight and pleasure in making himself known and and displaying his glory and and showing his magnificent power. I love Exodus chapter three where where Moses encounters God and, and Moses asks the Lord, he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am who I am. And Moses asks for understanding or explanation of that name. And essentially what God says in Exodus three, he says, watch and see. Because that's how you're going to learn who I am. Dave preached wonderfully about that. We get to know God by experiencing God. And what we're going to learn today is that God wants us to experience him, not just in little moments here and there, not one day experience God and then we hang on for dear life until four weeks from now we get to experience God again. But we're going to learn today that God wants us to encounter him and experience him each and every single day. And so let's, we're going to turn to the first few verses in Exodus chapter 16 and use this as the kind of foundation for our teaching this morning. Exodus chapter 16, reading from verse 1. The whole Israelite community, whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the, in, I read that badly, sorry, let me start again. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out from Egypt. That's much better. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Think about that. They're saying they would rather be slaves and be well fed than set free and having to faith, stand in faith for, for their food. That's, we're going to get to that. The people are to go out each day. Uh, sorry. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Later on, if we carry on reading Exodus 16, we learn that the Israelites call this food manna. And manna literally is the Hebrew word for what is it? So, so God is pouring out this, 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 this bread from heaven and the Israelites say, what is it? And so it gets its name manna. The people are to go out each day and each day, each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they are following my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now, so far on this story, we've seen that times of, of Moses and God's people encountering God have been these incredibly dramatic moments. We've seen the burning bush and we've seen the plagues. And we've seen the Red Sea and and kind of really dramatic moments like that. 
We often have ourselves moments in God where we encounter God in very powerful and and, and dramatic ways. Times where maybe you and I are filled with the Spirit of God powerfully or or moments when we we hear God clearly or we're used by God in some powerful way and and, and what it does to our hearts is, is, is it accelerates us forward. It's almost like a gear shift that is happening. And those are good times. We often refer to those times as mountaintop experiences or mountaintop moments. But Billy Graham once very wisely said something like this. He said, he said mountaintops are for great views. Mountaintops are for inspiration. Mountaintops are to get a picture of, of the big things that God is doing. But the fruit is grown in the valleys. The fruit comes when we learn to walk with the Lord day by day. And for the first time in the story of Exodus, we are introduced to this idea of God wanting the Israelites to do something each and every day as they walk with the Lord. His instruction to Israel was very simple. For five days, they are to go out and they are to, they are to gather enough manna or enough bread of heaven, bread from heaven, to last them for, the, for that particular day. And on the sixth day, they are to gather twice as much because on the seventh day, the day of rest, God's not going to provide. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? We're going to see what happens in a few moments. Can I just say this very importantly? Sometimes when we read the word day to day or we consider the idea of daily following the Lord, we can make the mistake of assuming that that means mundane or somewhat lifeless or somewhat boring. I would put it to you this, this way. Do you think it was somewhat mundane or somewhat boring that for five days God miraculously provided enough food to feed two million people? And then do you think it's boring that on the sixth day God provided exactly double what was needed on the sixth day because on the seventh day he wasn't going to provide? And by the way, he did this for 40 solid years. And if that wasn't enough, God provided food, uh, God provided water to, to amazingly and, and, and supernaturally come out of a rock to, to quench the thirst of two million people. And during those 40 years, their sandals never wore out, neither did their clothes. Day to day doesn't mean boring or lifeless. God was displaying his remarkable supernatural provision and, 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 and showing Israel that he was with them all the time. And friends, that hasn't changed for us. God wants us not just to encounter him every day, but to encounter him supernaturally every day. God wants us to see his supernatural, miraculous provision each and every day. But as we read this story, I want to just make sure we understand God is, God is not some, some, some catering manager, some food services manager whose, whose job it is is, is, to, is to provide enough food for, for Israel just to keep them happy and to provide it in a way that, he's, that, that brings a smile to their face to keep the complaints to a minimum. That's not God's intention in this. God is a father who's wanting to shape and train and fashion and craft his heart into his precious children. You see, when, when we read the, these verses, we see two million rebels. We see two million slaves. We see two million grumbling people. But what God sees is his precious son. Hosea 
in chapter 11, under the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to reveal God's heart when, he, when God shows him how he viewed bringing Israel out of Egypt. Hosea 11 says this. I want you to, I want you to picture the imagery as I read these verses. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called out to him, my son. I called him out of Egypt. I taught them how to walk, taking them by the arms. Picture that. Picture a, a father holding his, his son who's, who's battling to walk, and he, he's grabbing him by the arms, and he's helping him to walk. I called him out of Egypt. I taught them how to walk, taking them by the arms. I lifted them like a baby to my cheek. I bent down to feed them. That's how God sees his people. That's how God sees us. When we mess up and make mistakes and, and do stupid things, which, which I do, maybe you don't, but I, I certainly do, sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves, but friends, God is, God is always our father, and we are always his, 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 his son or his daughter. And to, to teach them how to walk, to train them in, 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 in imparting his heart to his children. God, God introduces this idea of, of obedience. And when we, when we hear that word, we sometimes get, get so concerned or so worked up when we hear the word obey or obedience. But, but what God has, has constantly shown is that his understanding of obedience is not compulsion or following a set, a set given rules and rituals. It's, it's this environment, this, this culture, this context of love and acceptance. And in the midst of, of that culture of love, God is saying, God is teaching obedience. We all know, we all know, whether you are a parent or not, we all know the importance of listening to those who know better, even though in the moment you might not believe that to be true. Parents sitting here will know how important it is when you say to your child, I need you to trust me, not necessarily for my sake, but for your sake. And if you're not a parent here, you are an ex-child and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes we go through these seasons in life where we learn something, like riding a bike, for example, and we, we suddenly grasp this truth or this ability to ride a bike, and the next moment we think we can ride down Lakeshore Drive or something and handle Chicago traffic. No, I need you to listen to me, my son. You don't really fully know how to ride a bike yet. Trust me, not for, your, not for my sake, but for your sake. And it's the same in our walk with God. Friends, don't be nervous when you hear God asking him to obey you. He knows better. He knows what's ahead for us. He knows what he's doing in our hearts. You know, we all have this idea that we've arrived and we've got nothing more to learn. We all have this idea at some point in our lives and even, even throughout our lives that my current self, I know at times, thinks I've arrived. Because I look back on my past self and I think, my goodness, where I was to where I am now is so much better. I've got, what more do I have to learn? But let me tell you, five years from now, my future self is going to look back on my current self and say the same thing. Oh my goodness, look how much I've had to grow. Always stay in that place of being humble before the Lord, trusting that he will show us what he wants to do. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is this beautiful passage of Scripture where, where God un unpacks this idea of obedience. 
And Deuteronomy chapter 5 is actually the Cliff Notes version of Exodus chapter 16. And the screen, it will have the verse behind me, but let me read a few few verses from uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Sorry, I said Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. You see, when we read that, sometimes we can immediately say, God, why, why so pedantic? Why, why, why are you so insistent on us obeying? Here's why. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. He knows how to lead us. He knows what we're walking into. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for us. And he knows what we need to learn in order for us to walk into the plans and the purposes that he has for us. Look at verse 2. Remember. Remember. That's a, that's a, that's a statement of testimony. Re- look back. Look back and, 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 and remember. What, what God is saying is, is, is this. He's saying, he's saying where there is love, where, there's, where, there's this, where there is this relationship of love, you will learn to trust me. And when you trust me, you will learn to obey me. And when you obey me, my faithfulness can be displayed. And that's a testimony that God is good, a reminder that we need to do it again. You follow the progression? If you learn to love me, you'll trust me. And if you trust me, you'll obey me. And if you obey me, I can display my faithfulness. And that will be a testimony and a reminder of how we need to do it again. And we create this environment. That's the point I'm getting at today. We create this environment of love and trust and obedience, which is the platform on which faith can begin to operate. I love God. I trust Him. And so I'm willing to obey. And faith begins to release in our hearts. Remember how the Lord your God led you. God didn't drive us. He leads us. He led us all the way, never leaving or forsaking us, all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, to teach you, this is the point of what God was teaching his people. He wanted to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, God wasn't feeding his people so that, so that they wouldn't be hungry. God was teaching them to follow every word that comes from his mouth so, they could, so that they could come alive in their hearts. Do you think it's hard for God to provide, to, you, to provide your physical needs? Jesus teaches in the book of Matthew. Even, God even knows the, the, and provides for the sparrows, the simplest of, of, of animals, the, 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 almost a kind of a throwaway animal, as it were. And I, that's a weird statement, but um, I didn't... Yeah, anyway, forget I just said that. The simplest of animals. And God says he, he even provides for them. How much more does God, is God able to provide for your physical needs? You see, friends, it's not your physical needs that's so important to God. God wants you to follow him so that you can come alive in your heart, so that you can learn how to truly live. 
Your clothes did not wear out, verse 4, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as as a man disciplines or as a man trains his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God, God trains us, friends. We can't be nervous of this word discipline either. God disciplines us. God trains us as a perfect father in the, in the, in the context of perfect love where there is absolute and perfect acceptance. And that environment creates a place where God can train and shape and mold us. Love and trust and obedience create an environment where faith begins to be released. And that's the lesson God is trying to teach his people. That's what God wants to teach us, what it means to be a people of faith. That's our heritage, friends. We're part of this faith family of Abraham. You know, Christians are called believers because it's what we do. It's who we are. We we believe in Jesus. We we put our faith in Jesus. We believe that, that God is able to do everything that he promised because he's faithful. We believe that God is able to cause things to exist that don't currently exist. That's what the Bible teaches and that's what God wants to instill in us, the kind of robust, radical, ridiculous, in a ridiculous to the world, ridiculous faith, where we can look at situations and say, things don't exist, but I know that God has spoken, and so I'm going to trust that God has the power to speak things into existence that don't currently exist. I get easily distracted by the here and now when I dream about the future. But I'm learning that a people of faith aren't overly impressed with what they see with their natural eyes. You see, for the Israelites, seeing was believing. They saw there was no manna, so they believed that God had forsaken them. And God is trying to change in us from not being a people where seeing is believing, but a people where believing is seeing. Where we see what God, where we sense in our hearts, we see with the eyes of our heart what God is doing. And that releases faith to believe that God is going to move in a particular situation. You see, a people of faith, when we are faced with immediate circumstances, good or bad, aren't overly impressed with what we see. We step back and we look beyond and we say, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to say to us? What are you wanting us to do in this situation? Sometimes I think that I need to keep, sorry, a people of faith are always looking to, to learn about themselves and especially learn about God in every situation. You see, the, again, the, the Israelites refused to learn about God. They just looked at their immediate circumstances. But yet, in the midst of their weakness, they had the opportunity to learn about God's incredible faithfulness. Sometimes, friends, I think we spend so much energy trying to apportion blame, whether it's, if it's this person's fault or that person's fault, or if it's the devil that's attacking me, or if it's not the devil that's attacking me, and we forget the opportunity that we have to learn about God and to learn about ourselves. Every situation provides an opportunity for those two things to happen, to learn about God and to learn about ourselves. Subconsciously, I know that I sometimes think I need to really work hard to impress God. But something I learned from here is that a people of faith know that God never changes. God is always ahead of the game, even when our faith wobbles. 
If you carry on reading the book of Exodus, you realize this is a very unimpressive bunch that God has chosen. It, it, it really is. I mean, we didn't look at the story in great detail, but Exodus chapter 15 verse 22 is the first, op- first obstacle and the first grumbling moment. Exodus chapter 16 is the second obstacle and the second grumbling moment. And then Exodus 17 is the third obstacle and the third grumbling moment. And it seems to follow a pattern. Israel faces an obstacle, they begin to grumble. God says, oh my goodness. He doesn't throw up his hands in, 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 in shock and say, oh, What have I done choosing these people? No, God is saying, I have chosen you. I have called you. Even despite your your shortcomings, even despite your failures, I am with you all the way. I will provide for you all the time. This is a people who had seen the plagues and had seen the Passover and had seen the crossing of the Red Sea. And you and I might think they're such knuckleheads. And yes, they are knuckleheads. But the point is this, they are God's knuckleheads. He chose them. He said, I'm in this with you, heart and soul. We're going into this in this together. About four years ago, one of our leaders at church in the city was making some foolish decisions. And I I distinctly remember praying this prayer. Now, don't sit there and try and figure out who it is because it's not the person you're thinking about. I distinctly remember praying this prayer. God, they being such a knucklehead, And I felt the Lord say this, yes, but he's your knucklehead. You are in this together. He's yours and you're his and you're going to figure this out together. And I want to say, friends, that's true of God and us, even in our shortcomings and failures. And can I say it's true of this family Some of you sit there and you think to yourself, and I know you do, it's okay. You think, my goodness, Steve, such a knucklehead. Well, I want to say, I'm your knucklehead. And you are my knucklehead. And we're in this together. Shortcomings, failures, mistakes, dreams, hopes, visions, and all. We're a family that God has called us together for a plan and for a purpose. A people of faith know that there is, and I, shame, I'm going to shamelessly, uh, unash, not shame, whatever. I'm going to steal from that song that we just sing, Great is this faithfulness. A people of faith know there is strength for today and therefore hope for tomorrow. What did God say to Israel? God said this, today, today, gather enough manna for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But today, there is manna for today. Sometimes we, if you're like me, you find yourself worried about tomorrow. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to carry on? And God says, no, no, we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. There is grace for today. There is wisdom for today. There is his provision, financial provision for today. God's not going to leave you. God's not going to forsake you. And because you know he will be there tomorrow, there'll be fresh grace tomorrow. There'll be fresh wisdom tomorrow, fresh insight, fresh gifting, fresh resources, fresh authority, fresh anointing, fresh power. That's coming tomorrow. And because of that, you can have hope. 
Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is absolute certainty. And God is a God of hope. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you here today, I really feel, struggle with hope for tomorrow. Today, I believe God wants to help you settle that issue, that tomorrow he will be there, ready at the start of the day to give you all the manner you need to get through that day. We're going to end off right now. Exodus 16 isn't just a history lesson. It's pointing to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, feasting on Jesus is how we cultivate this mixture, this environment of, of love and, and, and trust and obedience. Feasting on Jesus is how we become a people of faith. Feasting on the person of Jesus and finding strength from him is how we respond with obedience because we trust him and because we love him. And John chapter 6 gives two very simple instructions that I want to leave with us today. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. It's that simple. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Will never go, go hungry. Sometimes we rush Jesus with our shopping list of requests and prayers. I want to say Jesus is not interested. He, he, he'll, he, he wants us to pray those things, but he, he wants our hearts. See, coming to Jesus is, is setting aside time I would say daily, not hours, it can even be moments, but setting aside time where you, where you encounter the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's quietening your heart before him. It's, 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 it's trusting that he, Jesus, will speak to us. And when he speaks to us, we're called to hold on to those amazing promises. It's, it's, it's a time of, of worshiping in his presence. I, I love, I love just to sing that, that song, um, the, uh, the steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness, Lord. Even now, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would know this truth. Great is your faithfulness, that your steadfast love never ceases, that you are giving us grace for today, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Holy Spirit, would you, would you even now just all upon us. Bread of heaven, we come to you. We are hungry. We come to you. We don't, we, 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 fors- we, we choose today to forsake other sources of energy in life. We come to you.
the giver of love. Come to me, all who are hungry. Come to me, and you will never go thirsty. All who believe in me, Jesus says, you'll never grow, go thirsty. See, once Jesus speaks, he wants us to believe. And, and what that simply means, friends, is, is doing what Moses did. Building that wall in your heart. Building that memorial in your heart to the truth that God has dropped in there. You see, when Jesus speaks, all other voices are just insignificant, aren't they? When Jesus speaks, it's like he's got a loud hailer in our ear shouting at us and everything else is drowned out. You see, when, when that happens, that's when we build a, heart, build a memorial in our heart and say, this truth, this truth, it's settled. It's settled. God has spoken about his faithfulness or his goodness or his kindness or his mercy or whatever. It's settled. When it's tested in the future, because I know it'll, it'll be tested, I'm going to come back to this memorial, this moment that God spoke. And I'm going to stand firm because he said it. And if he said it, it's going to happen. Before I hand off to Matt, I want to leave this challenge with you. Not as a rule. Not as, not as legalism. Spending time with Jesus, friends, you ain't impressing God. Let me just tell you that. Settle that right now. Jesus has impressed God on your behalf. Spending time with him is not earning merits so that you don't go through tough times. Tough times are coming. For some, tough times are here. I'm not being prophetic. I'm being honest. Feeding on the bread of life is what gets us through those tough times. That's why you need it. That's why I need it. Every day. So here's my challenge. Can we as a church for one week, for one week every morning, set aside time to come to Jesus? Can we do that? For one week between today and next Sunday, set aside time to come to Jesus. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour. The time's not important. Undistracted time where you can hear his voice. And during that time, I believe God's going to speak. And when he does, I want you to ask him for one truth that you can build into your heart, that you can draw a line in your sand and say, this truth is settled. This truth, God, that you are speaking to me this week, it's settled. Can we do that? Imagine a church. Imagine a church that has their ear to the Lord. Now, I know that sounds silly to say, but let's be honest. Sometimes our ears are elsewhere. Imagine every one of our ears to the Lord, listening, waiting, building that memorial, stepping out in faith. Heavenly Father, Come, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Fillers. Strength. Strength, we pray. Hope. Courage. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Even now, Lord, we come to you as a family. Would you satisfy our hunger? Would you quench our thirst? Would you build, would you help us to build in our hearts, Lord, as a church, truths, convictions that need to be settled? Things that we've been double-minded about today, Lord. Let that double-mindedness end. Today, Lord, may we stand on the revelation of your faithfulness. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. We need you for you desperate for you Jesus we can't do it without you we can't we need you we open our hearts and we say fill us Lord fill us Lord